Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Would you underline the word began? Because there's so much the Lord is doing. Yes, his physical action of what he taught and did ended when he ascended up to heaven. Not when he resurrected because there was a lot of good stuff. But he ascended. That ended. Practically, physically on the earth. But he continued to teach through his apostles as he was giving them the message to be able to write down for us today. So there's a lot more being done. All right, And of course a lot more being taught. So, he says, I'm, be, I'm just telling you now, this is about Jesus, what he began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, notice what's happening. This is a, he's telling you kind of a backstory here. This is all that he did before he went to heaven. He was done by the Holy Spirit. Also, notice the apostles were chosen. You'll need to remember that truth. I, I, I'm going to come back to that. The apostles were all chosen by God, but they had to meet certain qualifications in order for them to be an apostle. So when you hear today that they're apostles, you have to ask them, did Jesus speak to them? Did, were they there when he resurrected? Did God specifically say, you are chosen? How do you know you're chosen? So today's apostles are not here. These are New Testament apostles. The apostles today are loose sense of the word apostles, but not biblical apostles as they are found in Scripture. Verse 3. To, do, to, those, excuse me, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. That means after he died, after he went through all that stuff before the cross, on the cross, by many convincing proofs. I love that, that he really revealed himself and it was convincing, convicting. People saw it. It was real. It wasn't a story. It's not a myth. It's not an allegory. They were real proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, you want to underline the word 40 days because we're building the, 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 the incubation. I don't know what they call it. What do they call it when you're carrying a child for so long? I, we've never done that. It's not incubation, but... I was going to say that, but it sounds like that's what whales do or something, you know? I thought, I can't use that word. I mean, it did cross my mind, you know, but I thought, I better not say that. I've got to go home with Carol again, you know? So, so gestation, that gestation period. So now we have... 40 days. Now, this is not when he went to heaven now. These are the 40 days that he was still on the earth. Remember, he died, he rose again. A lot of people think he rose again, went to heaven. Yeah, he rose again, but he didn't go to heaven because he was on the earth. All right, And while he was on the earth, 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says, he was seen by over 500 people. He was visibly seen as someone who was dead, 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 that came back to life. And even when it was written in verse 6, some of those people were still alive when that was written as a testimony that they saw him. That is huge stuff. So when we talk about Jesus, we don't talk about some little thing that some religious monk wrote about. This really happened, all right? 40 days. And what was he doing? Speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, this is important because Luke is mostly writing to Jews right now specifically. And most of them knew about the Messiah from their Old Testament teachings. And they knew that the Messiah, when the Messiah would come, that he would set up a kingdom. And this is setting them up thinking, okay, kingdom is coming. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom, but boo-hoo-hoo, he's gone. So what's happening about setting up his kingdom? Folks, listen, this is why you need to come next week because a Bible teacher next week is going to really unpack this because when it talks about the kingdom, the Jews really kind of had a quandary. They knew the Messiah would set up the kingdom, but they knew Jesus was supposed to set up, but he died. 
So, wait a second. Our Messiah is supposed to set up a kingdom, but, but, but this Jesus is supposed to be Messiah. He died. But the Jews also knew that their Messiah was supposed to suffer. The Jews that knew their Old Testament knew that he was supposed to suffer. So they couldn't really figure it out. Suffering, building a kingdom, Jesus suffering, talking about a kingdom, but there's no kingdom. When is he going to do what he said that he's going to do in the Old Testament? So you can imagine, they're all scratching their heads over this thing. And the Lord is sitting back smiling, saying, just hang in there. I'm going to help you. And that's where we are today. Go back to this. Kingdom here is not talking about a literal kingdom. It's talking about the kingdom of God, the rule of God, specifically in the hearts of his people, but also how he rules all over the world for all time, bringing about his kingdom rule starting in the hearts of people. So it's a broader thing. It's all about the work and the person of God all over the world for all time. The kingdom, think of the huge kingdom, not so much of a specific time or location. Verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Remember, he's still on the earth. He's got his group of guys there. He says, now you stay at Jerusalem. Remember, he just died there and he rose again, but he hadn't ascended in Jerusalem. So he said, you stay here, but to wait for the Father, his promise, referring to God the Father, which said, he said, you heard it from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In your margin, you can write the word 10 days, because I think 40 days and 10 days makes 50. And you're saying, what's so big about that? Stay with me and you'll learn. All right, go back to this now. So they're waiting for the Spirit of God. They heard about it through John the Baptist earlier on in Jesus' ministry. These guys are kind of known, do I scatter, do I stay, what do I do? And Jesus says, just hang in here for 10 more days. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord... Is that at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of God? Maybe it's all coming together now. Jesus suffered. That's the Messiah. Maybe in 10 days you're going to set up his kingdom. Is that what's going to happen at this time? Now it's a bigger kingdom happening here. This is the kingdom to Israel. This is an actual kingdom, location, and time thinking it was going to happen right then. That the Jews would rule the world, so to speak. Jesus would be there taking the Jews to another level, protecting them, giving them a political arena. Verse 7, when he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epics. The Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, da-da-da-da-da. Let's go back to verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the epics. Now, a lot of times people will say, notice how Jesus rebuked them for that. I would like to think that Jesus is not rebuking his apostles at that time. I really believe he was just merely giving them instruction because remember, those Jewish apostles knew so much of the Old Testament, but they still didn't have it clearly. And it wasn't so much that they were stupid and fighting God. It was like they're trying to figure it all out. Is this the time? It's like a genuine question from a student wanting to know. And so Jesus says, well, right now, it's not for you to know the exact time. Oh, we know enough a little bit about what life will look like on the calendar and things happening when Jesus is going to come back, the Messiah is really going to come back and set up his throne. But right now, that's not what it's about. It is about this, though. And he's now going to tell them in verse 8. So let's look at it, verse 8. So he says, kind of put on the back burner a lot about prophecy in the coming kingdom. Go back to verse 8. He says, but you will, future tense, receive power. Circle the word power there, if you will. That's the word we get our word dynamite from today. It's not because they had dynamite in the Bible days. I don't really believe that they did. It means it's the word dunamis. And once they invented dynamite, they called that what they invented, that explosive thing, powder, blah, blah, blah. They said, wow, dunamis. And so now we got power because it's powerful and that's how we got it. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the power is coming when the Godhead in the person of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then it says what we're supposed to do. We went from the mystery of not knowing when the kingdom will be set up to the actual mission 
which is we're to be witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Now remember, the church was not born yet, okay? He's setting them up in less than 10 days or about 10 days, the church is going to come on the scene. But he's letting them know ahead of time. Now look up here for a moment. If those of you that know your Old Testament, you will know that before the Jews ever got into the promised land, the Lord gave the Jews what they should be doing when they get into the promised land, also, what they should not do when they get into the promised land. So he gave them pre-instruction before he got there. He's doing it again, but this time not necessarily for the nation of Israel. He's doing it for every blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. We would now say the church, all right? Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're part of the church, doesn't matter. You're a believer in Christ. He's now going to tell us what is our pre-instruction of what we'll do. So he says, you shall be witnesses. Now, it's important for you to know the word witness, I'm not much in the legal arena. I'm, I'm grateful I haven't had to do much except maybe pay a parking ticket and, and occasionally some of Carol's speeding tickets. No, I'm joking on that. I'm joking. But here's what I am told. I am told that when you do testify that they usually want to know what did you see, what did you hear, and some cases they even ask you how did that make you feel. I, that may not be the right word, but the idea is you know, what, what, what's going on with you because of what you saw and what you did. All right? When all of that, I'm thinking, okay, what is the witness now? You're to be witnesses. So for you that are now going to be a witness for the Lord, and I need to explain what that is in a moment, all right? You are to merely explain what did you see, you know? What have you heard through Scripture? And basically, what's it done for you? I can tell you that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I know before I was scared of dying because I didn't know where I was going. Now I know I'm going to heaven. So there's a lot that I can say how it feels. What did I see? I saw through scripture, historically, prophetically, scientifically, that this is real. I know that Jesus is real. No, I have not seen him. I didn't see some guy in a robe walk across, you know, um, the lagoon. Didn't do any of that. But I know he's real, okay? Now, the word witness. Some of you that are real new into this, you hear about this cult called the Jehovah Witnesses. Sounds pretty neat. They love Jehovah God and they're going to witness, tell everybody about what they heard, seen and felt maybe about Jesus. That is not what this is referring to. We are nowhere connected to the Jehovah Witness cult. Take some of our classes here because what they will do, they will go through the history of the Jehovah Witnesses, what their belief system is, why it does not fit anywhere near biblical Christianity because it was started years, 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 years afterwards and even what they teach totally contradicts what Scripture has to say. Now that being the case, what does the word witness mean? The word witness comes from a word now, it's the word martyr. It means that what you saw, what you heard, what you felt, that you so much are going to communicate that with your life and with your lips, that you will take a stand publicly. doesn't mean you stand on your desk at work, but it does mean that you're not afraid to go public with your faith, not where you're going to be on a uh, jihad. It's not going to be where you're going to go out there in a crusade. It just means I don't mind what happens to me because it's not about me. I just love people. I want them to know God. So I'm going to tell them what I see, what I saw in Scripture, what I know to be true, how it made me feel, and I'm doing that even if it means I get martyred. Now, we live in America today. How much martyrdom could we get? Maybe some of our family members don't invite us to a luau. Maybe some of our workers will snub us when they go out for lunch on a Friday. What, what, kind of, what do we get? Maybe some of the kids get a little bit more, you know, from some of the rascals that are at school and some of those Kaloe kids are out there and they'll pick on you as being a Christian. But really, they're not picking on you because of a Christian. They just want to pick on you because you're just, you're just easy to pick on. And Christianity is a good thing to do for them. 
And so I want you to, we really don't have it. Now that I've taken the pressure off of you, I don't want you to forget, though, that there are brothers and sisters in Christ that did just that. They just simply went up to someone and said, this is what happened to me. This is truth. This is what I saw. And they're in jail, suffering, tortured for today. And they're part of the church. And Jesus is simply saying that. And where was that mission to go? All right, let's look at it. You're to be witnesses both in Jerusalem. That means right where you are right now, guys. But don't stay right here. It's not us for no more. Shut the door. We love our little city. We want to reach our city. You know, we want to have a nice, we want to have a better city. So if everybody becomes Christian, everybody loves one another and sings Kumbaya, we're going to have a better Jerusalem. He says, no, no. In all Judea, so now you've got a Jerusalem, all Judea. Judea Jerusalem's like a city. Judea is kind of a little bit like a county state. Samaria gets a little bit broader. And then it says, even to the remotest part of the earth. And if this is your Bible, you want to circle not the Jerusalem or all Judea or Samaria. That's cute. You can do it. But I'd rather have you underline the word both, which means you don't just go Jerusalem and once you end there, then you go to the next place. It means wherever you go, you start in Jerusalem, but you don't stay in Jerusalem only. You stay there, but you then you branch out. So that's why here at this church, when we talk about witnessing for the Lord, being a martyr for Christ, telling everybody about who Jesus is, we want to do it locally. This is our Jerusalem, but we want to do it globally, all over the state, all over the South Pacific, all over this hemisphere, all over planet Earth until the day we die because it says both here and there. So we do local and global. And a cool word is we do it glocally. Did you catch that? Glocally? All right, that's not very funny. But globally and locally, you got my point. But notice this next thing it says here, to the remotest. That means that, yes, we'll go to some areas where it's kind of easy, the culture is nearly the same, our family is nearby, but the remotest could also mean in the deepest part of a jungle that could take us decades to be able to learn the language, to be able to figure out how to reduce it to a written fashion for them, and then to take scripture and translate that into their language and help them to do this all at the same time, eating the same bugs, living in the same environment, In a hostile area, because we're strange, they're there no matter what it takes because we want people to know Jesus Christ because he is the only way to have eternal life. Boy, that's hard for some people to hear. But that's what he says to do. By the way, think logically with me. Think with me. Think with me. Why would it be so important to go to the remotest part of the earth with the message of Christ if it didn't matter how you went to heaven? Okay, we didn't make it. That's all right. They'll have a way. They'll worship a tree, rock, bush, bug. Doesn't really matter. They'll get there. Why would he say that? Because there is no other way than Jesus Christ. And don't overlook the fact where it says power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, implying that the power is the Holy Spirit. And so when he comes upon you. Well, what's happening next? I'm going to quit right here. I'm sorry, I think we've gone long enough. There's a lot of stuff to chew on. But don't pack up. Some of you are saying, good, he's over early. Put this in your calendar. All right, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The next time we're going to get together, when I talk about the church, it's not even born yet. We're getting ready for it to be born. There's a little bit of labor pains going on. Is that how you do that? Labor pains going on? I've talked about the mystery of the church, of, of, of its starting. Okay, what is this? Is this the kingdom? Not what's happening here? And we talked a little bit about the proper, oh, I don't know, the mission of the church. Once it started, remember, it's pre-instruction based upon how he did in the Old Testament, preparing the Jews before they went into their land, Christians before they go into the world. This is what you do. 
what I'm going to teach you next time is the very first mention, what I believe, of the proper motive of going and doing this. And then we're going to see the, how the church acts. You want to be here. You, you're going to, I can't wait to tell you this. Now, some of you that like, you say, I didn't take any notes today. I, there's too much. I, what, what do I get? First one, letter P, prevail. Jesus builds his church on his rock himself. It'll prevail. If Christ fails, the church will fail. All right? Or if the church fails, Christ fails. The second word in this passage right here is simple. It's the word power. It's the word power. So there's power in Christ. There's power in us when we've trusted Christ as Savior. Jesus prevails. We will prevail because we are the church in Christ. We get together again. I'm going to talk about prayer. I'm going to talk about preaching. And then the church will get started. So that's what we're going to cover next. Now, you're going to say, what's my take-home point? Well, if you only took home one take-home point, the first thing I'd like you to take home is that Jesus is the Lord. He set up his church because he is the body of Christ. He's the head of the church. We're all part of this together, but he's the head. And if you are not a part of that, then you could have a great life on planet Earth and do a lot of neat stuff and maybe help a lot of people and maybe even have some feel-good moments. But when you die... you won't go to heaven. You won't have a relationship with him. And if I had the time and you had the time, we could go through and talk about what it means in eternity to be without Christ. It's absolutely horrible. Now your mind goes back to the millions and millions and millions of people who you think never heard and what about them? Would God doom them to hell? I'll be glad to answer that, but at another time. But right now I'll answer this. You have heard. And so today is your day because you do not know when your heart will quit beating and for whatever reason. So I urge you to trust Jesus Christ because the whole church is built on him. He will prevail. And the power to live a life of full meaning and a place waiting for you in heaven is found in Christ. Next week I want to talk about, not next week, two weeks, I want to talk about the community of the redeemed from history and why we sing our praise songs today which we should do and do them well and do them often and sometimes even do them loud scripture says but at the same time not to forget the traditions of historical Christianity they're deep they're rich and those who were living during that part of historical Christianity paid a tremendous price and we're just a part of that wonderful legacy Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a moment and meditate on these things? Even if you're on the other side of Christianity, why don't you just talk to God? The real God will hear you. The real God already knows your heart. The real God already knows that through Christ, He paid your sin debt. So why don't you just in your own heart say, Lord, I'm on this side of the... I, mean, I don't understand this all and this is so huge. There's, there is so much information. I'm trying to figure it all out and make it add up. I can't do that, God. I just it's, it's overwhelming. But Lord, I want you to help me to understand this. Something must be real enough for people to do so much to take that message to the remotest part of the world and I want to know more. And so Lord, I don't want my faith to be based upon someone else's faith. I want it to be based upon my own research and study of this. So, Lord, guide me somehow, lead me into truth. Others of you, you might say, 
I, I do believe that Jesus is the Lord. I, I thought going to heaven was by a series of works. I, I understand now that it's built upon Christ, not upon my good works. It's built upon Christ, not upon faith in Christ and good works. It's only Christ. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you just as I am, a broken individual who's done a lot of good things, but now knowing that not one good thing would ever get me into heaven. And so I'm coming to you for the forgiveness of my sin. And since you died and you rose again for my sin, for my sin, for me, I'm going to receive that as a gift. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for doing that. And I believe that you are the Lord who died and rose again. I don't understand all this other stuff, but I know it's going to come to me progressively as I continue learning. But what I do know is I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and you're my Savior today. Now, however you put that in your own words, there's no little prayer book. You don't have to come up here and kneel down. You don't have to stand up, light a candle. It's done in your heart because the Lord wanted to make it that simple and that quick for you so you would know that there's not one religious thing you have to do to go to heaven except to trust in Christ like you're trusting that chair to hold you up. So is there anyone in here today that in your own heart you're saying that to the Lord? Lord, I believe you died for me and rose again and I'm trusting you. If you're doing that today, here's what I'd like to do. And it's still up to you. It's your option. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand in a moment. And when you slip up your hand, I'm going to merely say, God bless you. Thank you. Every head is bowed, right? Every eye is closed, right? No one is looking around, right? So when you raise your hand, nobody's going to see you but me. And when you raise that hand, I'm not going to walk down the aisle. I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to pray for you out loud by name. I'm not going to describe you in my prayer. I'm just going to acknowledge that today you've trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord who died and rose again. And you're raising that hand to let me know. That's all. Now, raising your hand doesn't get you to heaven. Me praying for you or anyone else will not get you to heaven. It's when you personally called upon the rock Jesus Christ, to be your Savior. When you in your own heart made that mental transaction. So is there anyone in here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around that's ready to trust Christ as your Savior? And now you've placed your faith in Christ and you'd like for me to know that. Would you slip up your hand and put it right down real quick? Can I see there's anyone that's doing it today, never done it before? Do it right now. Okay, Christians. Remember that we are all a part of the community of the redeemed and it all began at Pentecost, which we'll study in two weeks. But we're part of a rich heritage. And in many ways, through Christ and his power and his word, we are to preserve that heritage. That heritage is of praising him. That heritage is of serving one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, but also walking in godliness and purity with one another. It also involves being a witness to the point of being a martyr. Not fighting people, but loving people to Christ. And we can do it through His power. So I want you to, in a sense, in your heart, hold up your head. Be strong in Jesus Christ. Remember, you're not alone. You're part of a family that loves you with a father who proved his love for us on the cross. So you go out into the world this week stronger, filled with the fullness of God.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the rock. And we stand on you. We stand tall. And we stand tall not for pride, but we stand tall so that we could point other people to the one who stooped so low for us. And so, Lord, I pray now for any that haven't placed their faith in you, that on their journey, that, Father, that they will seriously investigate the truths of Scripture, that those who already know you as Savior, that they would walk slowly and lovingly and patiently with those who are sorting all of this stuff out as the person did with us when we were sorting this all out before we trusted Christ. And then, Father, as a church, I pray that we would truly love you and worship you, that we would get to know your word and that we would love one another as we, through that, remain strong in sharing your message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, here and to the remotest part of the world. In your name we pray, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.